This program is brought to you by Rosie the Riveter Trust, the official nonprofit sponsor of Rosie the Riveter World War II Homefront National Historic Park, located in Richmond, California. Rosie the Riveter Trust supports the National Park's public education programs and the historic preservation of the World War II Homefront, including stories from real Rosies who inspire that we can do it spirit that initiated the still ongoing transformation of the American workplace to one of inclusion, diversity, and equity. Support the Trust's mission of equality and empowerment and purchase official Rosie gear by visiting rosytheriveter.org forward slash shop. Enter the promo code FIXSKIN at checkout to receive a 10% discount. Well, this is a state-of-the-art facility. Not, this was like the original, and they used it as a template for other training centers. State-of-the-art extraction systems. Each, each booth has its own smoke sucker and uh, any type of you know, wire stick. And it doesn't matter what kind of what you're looking for. You're listening to Thick Skin, and I'm your host, Alicia Crawford. This is a podcast about women, transgender, and gender non-conforming people working in the skilled trades. On today's show, I talk with Jeff McEwen from Oakland's own Local 378, the ironworkers union that's helped build the Bay Area as we all know and see it today. They've been in business for over 100 years. Jeff's a proud and staunch advocate for women entering the trades and he's an ally in the cause. Today, Jeff talks about his route into ironworking, and then we'll get into the details about Local 378's ironworking program designed especially for women to create a pipeline for women interested in joining the ironworking trade. Please note that all references to women in this episode are intended to be inclusive of all women-identifying and gender-expansive and gender-nonconforming people, since that is what Thick Skin is all about. Hi, Jeff. Thanks so much for joining me today. Well, thank you, Alicia. Glad to be here. Yeah, welcome. So you are the official first man as part of this series. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. I feel like Neil Armstrong. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. So you have an interesting perspective in that you've seen both field work and then you're at the other end of sort of the the administrative and the infrastructure of hiring and sending people out. So over those years, what have you seen change and shift with women coming into, in particular, ironworking? So I'm currently the business manager, financial secretary, treasurer of our local went from the field back in 2007 was my last job when I was in the field and I was that was 27 years in the field and then I became a business agent for the local union and then about four years later I became the business manager for the local when I was in the field there weren't a lot of women there were women in the field and but not a lot you know and I think uh now that the training center and and was introduced and we introduced the women's welding course that we put on annually and brought ladies from all over the country to get the training here in Benicia and then they would go back to their respective locals and they would have a job opportunity waiting for them when they got back after the training that opened the door quite a bit i think it was a very rare and, and far and in between that i would see a woman come onto the job and, and be part of the crews. You know, it was 
it was a rarity, you know, in, at, at my time in the field. But after I got in here and, and then the training became more of a mindset for to train ladies and give them an opportunity to do it firsthand before actually getting out there. And that's a big part of our training center is hands-on training. So, so you're familiar with what you're doing when you hit the job. But I think that's played a huge part in, in getting more ladies involved. Right, because it's reaching both locally and then nationally, it sounds like, because people are coming from all over. And since our listeners probably, I shouldn't make any assumptions, but most of them maybe have not heard, and I had not heard of this training program. University of Iron. And you can go, if you can go to universityofiron.org, and you will find out everything about our training programs all over the nation. Yeah, it's really cool. I really recommend people read about it. It's this whole other world that exists that I would say most of us go day to day, not even imagining that this is happening and how many women have made their way into ironworking. So could you give me a little bit of a snapshot of what that training program is like and how it works? So Ladies will go to universityofiron.org and, and and look that program up and you will be able to sign up if you're interested. Or if you know somebody, we put that out there. If you're an iron worker and you know a young lady that wants to get uh, involved with the program, that's a great way, like a good segue into it. For one, like I said, you get the hands-on training. And then for the other, it's a direct entry program into the apprenticeship training center. So you get this uh, extended training, this three-week course, on, and it focuses on all aspects of the trade, but mainly they want to get away with some welding service so, for these ladies. So you can sign up for that. And then, like I said, it gives you direct entry into the apprenticeship program, which a lot of times people will come and apply for the apprenticeship program, but they will have to find a, a company to sponsor them. And that's guaranteed, the sponsorship is six weeks guaranteed work. So this way you do the class, you no longer need a sponsorship. You have direct entry into the program. You can come into the union hall, sign the list and go right to work. And in a lot of cases, companies have already committed to hiring these ladies when they get back to their home states or wherever they're from. Yeah. So it's been sometimes it, it takes a little bit when we don't have that lined up for a company. But for the most part, every lady that I know that has come into our local through that program is working right now. So it, the program works. Is there experience required to apply to the program? No. This pre-training for women versus a program that men might enter. Is there a difference? No, not at all. No, we just made it available, this specific course, to introduce ladies to this ironworking trade. Every day for three weeks, every day you get this training. It's like you have a job. You are there and you have a job. And, and we take care of them. We feed them all. We, we give them their own hotel rooms and everything. And it's right down the street from the training center. And it works very well. And I think there might have been a few dropouts in there. But for the most part, the percentage is way up there in the upper 90s. And the retention rate is up in the upper 90s, you know, so the program works and it's available. And like I said, there's uh, ladies that do just go right into the apprenticeship program when that program's not available at the time. It's a timely thing, you know, it only happens once a year. So the rest of the time, we're still taking in people, you know, men and women uh, into their apprenticeship program and they go right into the program 
we find them sponsorship. We find them companies that will hire them. And there's a place for everybody. I, I've always said that. I'm working. Uh, we have such a wide, vast jurisdiction of work that there's a place for everybody. If you're interested in working hard, then come see us and uh, we'll put you to work. It can be complicated and difficult for women um, to enter and then to stay, but it sounds like the iron workers are doing something different that some other trades are not. What, what do you say to that? Is that accurate? I don't know if we're doing anything different. We are definitely trying to make it available. I don't know what the other trades are doing. I know what we are doing. I want to say the iron workers probably were the first with a maternity provision policy that they have through impact. So it bridges that gap. So if you get pregnant and you're in the trade, and I know there's family leave, but this bridges that gap where you had that high paying job, but the maternity leave doesn't quite cover it. Our program bridges that gap to where it brings you up to what you were earning. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. As Jeff said, the Iron Workers Union is well ahead of some of the other trades in terms of their maternity leave. And it rivals the maternity leave offerings of big tech companies. You know who they are, so we don't need to name them here. The Iron Workers Union maternity policy is nationwide, and it includes six months of pre-delivery maximum benefit with then six to eight weeks of post-delivery benefit. That's full-time pay. This is a step in the right direction, not only in the area of diversity and inclusion, but also in encouraging people to take care of their bodies and this increases retention of their highly skilled workers. So it's a win-win for everybody. I'm really curious to hear how you entered into the ironworking field and the trades. How did that happen for you? Well, my family is in the ironworkers, and uh, I'm a third-generation ironworker. So my father, his father before him, all out of the same local. Not really, you know, as a child, not knowing what, what he actually did. I knew, you know, in class, you know, what your dad do, he's an iron worker, but I really, you don't really put that together when you're a child going through school until I got to the junior high and high school level in all the shop classes. And I was immediately drawn to metal shop and all my other friends would go to wood shop. I couldn't figure that out, <laughs> but uh, I was always kind of drawn to metal shop and not knowing the correlation between the two until I got my first ironworking job and said, you know, I've been doing this my whole childhood, like it was leading up to this. So I actually feel like I was born to be an iron worker. There's, you know, I just, it's in my blood, of course, like I said, third generation. And, and I just uh, have always been just going that direction. I just, uh, I love it. I don't feel like I, I really put in a lot of work because it was so much fun for me. Hmm. You know, and I and I just uh, I really love iron. I love welding, and and if you and you have to have that kind of passion for it because it's very strenuous. It's extremely strenuous on your body, and so you better really like what you're going to do because you're going to be working very hard at it. Tell our listeners where your local is. We have an Oakland Charter, Oakland, California Charter, and but we moved our union hall to Benicia for financial reasons. We we didn't own the property in Oakland, but now we own the property in Benicia. But we still have an Oakland charter, and we are still the Oakland Ironworkers, Local 378. So does that mean your grandfather dates back to wartime shipbuilding? Yes, that's exactly what brought them. That's exactly what brought them out here. 
they were um, based in Oklahoma at that particular time when they were growing up back in the 30s and the 40s. And then they came out here in the early 40s and, yes, went to the Richmond shipyards. That's exactly where it happened. Do you hear stories from your family, your friends who are in the field about the challenges women face as iron workers? So I've had actually, you know, circumstances that being in my position that I have to pay attention to. And sometimes we've had to, you know, bring people in before our executive board and correct them about how we conduct our business and how we conduct ourselves with people of our own trade on the job. And being the case that, you know, some, like I said, it's a transition. Some guys are just not used to that, you know, a woman being part of the crew, you know, well, get used to it because everybody needs a job. Everybody needs to provide for their family and the iron workers and all the trades provide that, you know, they provide a good wage, a decent wage and benefits to provide for their family. And there's nothing wrong with that. And at the end of it, hopefully, you, you know, you do enough hours and everything, you get a good pension out of this, you know, and, and you can retire with some dignity. I don't see there's anything wrong with that. If people have a problem with that, then they need to get my number down and call me and tell me what their problem is with that. How does that work when you encounter people who, or we'll just say encounter men who are just unwilling or just don't understand and can't quite get there? Yeah, I understand the question. And I know, and I've, and we've had to deal with it. There's, it's a generational thing that we're just going to grow out of it and they'll retire. And then we have this new phase of young people and young ironworkers that are adapting to a new way of life. And just in general, there are some horror stories out there from other states that, that I was not a, a privy to. And these young ladies, when we send our ladies to the Women in Construction Conference, that was a, a great thing for them. And they would bring stories back of iron workers, you know, and they would sit in their groups and talk about women in the field, what they were going through and the I mean, the actual horror stories from other states of men threatened by this woman taking their jobs, you know, and I don't feel that way at all. I, I feel that if you're out there and you're doing this job, you have earned that position. You know, you're not taking anything from anyone and and they they deserve every right to do whatever they need to do to, like I've said, to, to take care of their families and themselves. And that's the position we take. And I will not tolerate anybody harassing a young lady out on our jobs. We've had them in here. We've reprimanded them immediately. We don't let it go any further. I'll tell you what, I'll get you off that job. I'll bring you down here. I'll bring you up on charges. I'm not going to have it. You know, like I said, they're just people trying to take care of themselves and their families. Isn't that just the most simple idea yet so difficult to enforce? Uh, yeah. That's all we really want, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know what else is there. You know, it's a mindset. It's a generational mindset. And like I said, we're probably just going to have to grow out of that. But like I said, this is not just for anybody either. You, it takes a special person. And I say this a lot. It's a special, unique person that becomes the union iron worker because of the passion that's involved and the love for what you're doing. Because I guarantee you, there will be times you'll be beating yourself up on the job so hard that you'll be wondering why I do this. 
Do you have a favorite project that you worked on? Oh, I'm sure there's one. <laughs> yeah. What what would you pick off the top of the list? I was fortunate to be on just so many good jobs with so many good people. And that's what makes your job easy. When And I was in charge of the, when we did the Al Zampa Memorial Bridge, the suspen- last suspension bridge built in this area. And I was the foreman in charge of deck lifts and, and, and the spinning of the wire up on Tower 3 and which is the Vallejo side and probably the most epitome of all jobs that culminated into that one job. You know, it was everything. And the bridge work is just something unique anyway, you know, whether it's a suspension bridge or what have you, but just bridge work in general. But that's not to diminish anything that anybody else has taken away from any of the things that all the rods, all the rigging, all the chemical, you know, plants or the refinery work, all the things that we do. And, you know, makes you proud of everything you've done. But I would say, yeah, if you had to pick one job that sticks out, that would be it. And so when you drive over that bridge, what does that feel like for you? It's a great feeling. I've walked over it many times and uh, I'm still in awe of the fact that, you know, the crew that I was on, everybody that was involved with the whole building of that bridge. And you look at it, it's just it's, you just stand in awe of something like that. You know, it's just, and a lot of people just drive over and don't give it another thought. But when you put that much blood and sweat into something, and it was at a special time in my life, it was right after my dad passed away. And I was on a really good job in San Francisco. And that's actually where I met some, a lot of great people. And my dad had passed away then. And then I, I just felt this need to, to be on that bridge. And I was fortunate enough to, be called out there and and it really kind of sets uh something in my heart I, I dedicated that bridge every day i was on it to my dad but i i probably not the only one i'm sure a lot of guys were on that bridge dedicating it to somebody they love to you know that was part of this local and part of the ironwork and trade yeah it holds a really special spot for me I hear what you said about most people just drive on and don't think twice about it. And so much of what I'm hearing and I'm always mystified and marveled by is that our day-to-day lives rely upon people doing the work in the trades. And most people don't stop to think when they turn on a faucet or drive over a bridge or reach for a door handle in a skyscraper or, you know, just even turn over their tractor engine, whatever it is. Or get a day off. Okay, yeah. yeah. Labor day, you know. There you go. People, people get labor day and they just think, hey, it's a three-day weekend. Yeah, that it's just not part of the day-to-day consciousness, I think, of our society. And I want it to be. Yeah. Well, that's exactly why that holiday was created. Have you seen over the years the iron working culture? Well, I'm just sort of using that as an umbrella term, you know, sort of how people work, how they interact with each other, what's acceptable behavior, what's not, safety practices, all these things have changed over the years. Do you see women playing a role in changing that culture? Have they changed it? And then how else might they participate in shifting it? I see a huge change, you know, for them. 
like I said, the more opportunities are available. I see women running crews and they're here. They're officers of our local. We have a trustee. We have a young lady on the e-board, you know, our executive board. And so, yeah, I see a huge trend, you know, where ladies are getting involved, not only with the work, but with the union business itself. And I think that that in itself will change the perspective of people. And, and, and we have, when you join the ironworkers, we take an oath. And I had the part of that oath put on the, on a shirt. And it says, I will at all times be respectful in word and action to every person. And you kind of just roll through that when you're doing your oath. But if you sit there and you listen to that for a little while, I will at all times, all times be respectful in word and action to every person, you know, and that that just sits so deep within me that I think if you could do that, if you actually could do that, imagine what a a great, not just a workplace, but an, an environment could be. How about what a world we would have? What a world, yeah. That's why I put it, you know, you come in here, you take your oath, you roll through the oath. You really probably don't pay attention to all those words, but I wanted that little segment to stick out. And I put it on all these volunteer shirts. So when we go somewhere, we all have the same shirts on. They all say the same thing. And I want people to just start being respectful. They're finally getting some respect that's due to them. You know, they're not just somebody that's just filling a gap where we're not just trying to appease the government to have certain people on certain projects. These people are dedicated professionals and they want to be treated as such. You know, and I, I think it's important to, to give them that, to give them the respect that, that they deserve. Do you see the College for All as an issue in two ways. One, it prevents people from pursuing the trades. And two, does it insinuate that the trades are less than the idea of going to college? Does it pit them against each other? I think it's a, it's a great combination of both. You know, if you have college training, there's a lot of positions. So many, uh, I can't count of the positions available in the construction trades for people with degrees you know, or any kind of college training. It's just a bonus for me. If you went to college and it didn't quite work out, or maybe you did degree, a degree and, and you can't find something in your field and you still come back to the trade, bonus for us. You're just that much smarter of a person for us, you know. I love it. You're a leader in waiting. Bring it on. I think the, the problem really lies in before that, before they even get to college, you have a lot of lost people in the junior high system, in the high school systems, because they did away with all the technical programs. You know, you don't, you, they don't have an outlet. My story is living proof. I had an outlet. Do you have words of wisdom for, let's say, young women who are still trying to figure out, should I go to college? Should I not? Or maybe I can't do college. It doesn't interest me. It seems like not my path but I'm still unsure. What do you tell them? Go for it. If you're interested in the iron working field or if you're interested in welding or whatever you're interested in, don't wait because there's a great career waiting for you and you're going to have a great time. You're going to have a great family within the iron workers. If you have a deep desire for this, I encourage you to go for it. 
of anything, anything in the trade. There are countless opportunities waiting for you. All you have to do is take advantage of them. I am so grateful, so grateful for your time today. It was such a pleasure. It was terrific. The pleasure is all on my side. I thank you very much for what you're doing. We'll take care and we'll talk soon. Okay, thank you. I have just a short update about Jeff. He has since retired since we last spoke. So congratulations to you, Jeff. I hope you're enjoying your time off. And the board at the Local 378 has added two more women to their leadership roles. The shift is happening and the change is coming. Great work, Local 378, for being a model for the future of the trades. Thanks again to Jeff and the entire team at Local 378 who have been enormous thick skin supporters from the very beginning. They were the first to sponsor our show in season one. And when I got there for the tour, they all welcomed me with open arms and they tolerated my endless newbie questions and my excessive enthusiasm. Seriously, they were amazing. Thanks, you guys. And listeners nationwide, be sure to check out the University of Iron if you want to know more about the women's program. It's open to everyone, no matter where you live in the U.S. Check them out at universityofiron.org. Or for more about the local, ironworkers378.org. For photos of my tour at the University of Iron and Local 378, including the 30-ton chain hoist, or chain fall, which you're about to hear at the end of the episode, check us out at Instagram or Facebook. Follow us at Thick Skin Podcast, hashtag Women Trades Podcast. That's women with an X. This show was produced by me, Alicia Crawford, and original music by Eric Corson. And sending huge thank yous to all of the generous donors who make this show possible. We'll catch you next time on Thick Skin. Ooh, what's this? It's the big chain fall that they had uh, out at the shipyard. They hoist up, you know, whatever they're going to hook right. on. It'll keep the machine, you know, hoist it on. Works one side, then you get another person on the other side, and works so it comes down even. Uh-huh.